You are listening to the Smoky Acres podcast. I'm your host, Charlie, and this is the podcast about my imperfect journey to a homestead lifestyle and lowering my environmental footprint. Hello, everyone. How are we doing today? I wanted to start off this episode by talking about last week's episode. You maybe noticed, or maybe you didn't notice, that there wasn't one. (laughs) And that this week is episode 17, even though last week should have been episode 17. And I have a very simple explanation for it. Me and technology were just not getting along. I recorded an episode with Kyle talking about different projects that he's been up to, forging and woodworking and building, all of that. It was like a pretty decent episode. And I mean, except for the fact that the audio was absolutely atrocious. So it's not like the biggest heartbreak in the world that I lost it all. Because Jasper, he got this giant bag of dog toys from a co-worker, and they all have squeakers in them, which, like, I purposefully don't buy toys with squeakers, because although Jasper absolutely loves them, it's so obnoxious. And he was very excited about all of these toys, and was just, and I recorded just sitting in the living room with Kyle. So it wasn't like a very soundproof spot, so there was a lot of echoing and everything too, and then just constant toy squeaking from Jasper. So the episode would have maybe been a nightmare to listen to anyways, (laughs) but when I went, I like fully edited the episode, that's hard to say, edited, edited the episode, had it ready to go. And it was, like, a pretty decent conversation that we had. Got, like, 30 minutes of recording. Got that all taken care of. And then when I went to go export the file, it wouldn't export. And when I went back in, the, like, saved version of it had gaps of audio missing. Where just spots of the audio just would go silent. It was super weird. I couldn't figure out how to reverse it and it just because it wasn't like the greatest episode I've ever recorded either I was like not gonna put in the time and energy to try to mess with it so I just said all right I'm done with that one and decided to just wait and record something completely different which is right now today and have this one posted and Kyle and I will just do like another little mini episode together talking about his projects at a different time. So that was my short explanation played out in a very long explanation I guess. That's that. What else have I been up to? Today's my day off and It was Labor Day this past weekend, Labor Day weekend. Didn't do anything too exciting. Went to our friend Jeremy's for a barbecue. Had like a socially distanced fire with our friends Kyle and Emily. But yeah, that's about it. And then today I brought a bunch of stuff to Goodwill to get rid of, which always feels really great. 
and to just like get rid of stuff. And then we also had the a couple guys here to run our gas line up to our stove because we have propane gas but we don't we have just like an electric stove so we had a gas line run up to our stove and then we bought our new stove and oven unfortunately it wasn't available to be delivered until the 29th so I still have to wait for the new stove but the gas line is in and we're getting this beautiful gas stove with a convection oven and I am so excited there's like a for the oven too there's like a bread proofing like setting on it that I'm really stoked about and there's a dehydrating setting too and we own a dehydrator but just to have like if I wanted to do more so and use both or whatever just to have the option which I'm really stoked about and there's like the center griddle part too where it's flat top but still is a gas stove just like the flat top center and then the four burners on the outside i'm really excited about it uh the stove that we have now is a piece of crap the door is actually falling off right now so i can't use the oven because it doesn't fully close and if you try to open it the whole door just falls off and some of the like co it's just like one of those coil electric stoves and some of the coils, only the center part of the coil will heat up and the rest of it doesn't work. And they're all uneven, so like if you have a pan, you crack an egg into it, it all like runs to one side of the pan. And it's old and it's gross and I'm very excited to get rid of it and get something nice. It's going to make cooking and baking so much more enjoyable. I'm very excited, if you can't tell. We had the gasoline run today, so we're one step closer to having a new stove. I'm keeping my eye out right now to, I'm selling this desk over the Facebook marketplace and these people are coming to look at it right now and hopefully buy it. Kyle's out working in the garage right now, so I'm hoping he will just take care of it and talk to them for me because I hate that part of trying to sell things online. It's or buy things online too, having to meet the people and talk about it and then it's always like kind of awkward or maybe it's not awkward at all and I'm just awkward. Don't know where that line is but I don't enjoy it. So hopefully he'll just take care of it and we'll get that desk sold and I don't have to deal with it anymore. I'm also recording it back in our guest room because we made some changes in here we came to this realization that we just don't have guests enough to have a whole room i mean we don't have that many rooms in this house in general so to have a whole room that's just for people to sleep every once in a while when we have people here is kind of a waste of space like we're the ones that are in this house all the time and have a whole room that we basically don't use didn't seem like the greatest thing. Like I wanted to be able to have more function in this room. So it's gonna be kind of an offshoot of our office because there's a full closet in here. So I'm gonna make this closet like our art supply and craft closet. And then we got rid of the bed because the mattress was 
awful anyways. No one enjoyed sleeping on it. And we got a couch with a pull-out bed. So I'm sitting on that now. And it's like a cute like southwest pattern. And it's a pretty comfortable couch. So now I have my little podcast recording spot. It has like this little tabletop thing that can fit on the arm of the couch. So I'm all set up here. And it's now going to be like a cute, cozy space that we can utilize a little bit more. But then if we have someone spend the night, we can also pull out the pull-out bed. And there's a spot for people to sleep as well. So yeah, that's a newer adjustment now. Hopefully the sound is a little bit better in here. I mean, it's not a soundproof room. It is just a guest room. And... It is still a little echoey in here. You can definitely hear noises from outside, but it's a lot better than the porch where I was recording a lot, um, and definitely a lot better than my like living dining room area too. So yeah, here I am, and it's pretty great. Oh, the lady's here to buy the desk. Kyle's talking to her right now. I'm just creeping from the guest room window, kind of like peering out the window, very creepily. Oh, cool. Money was exchanged. Desk is sold. One last piece of extra furniture in this house. Uh, there's something that I just absolutely love about getting rid of things. Just like I brought a bunch of clothing items that I just don't wear enough and some shoes and a couple bags. And what else? A bunch of books and stuff that I just like don't use to Goodwill today. And I just love getting rid of things and just paring down what I have. It's just such a good feeling to have less stuff in my house. I get stressed out in a space that has tons of things. And Kyle and I own a lot of things. I don't know how it happens because I feel like neither of us are shoppers. Um, but we both have a lot of hobbies, and we also like antiquing or junk hunts or like going junking, as some people call it, um, and going to garage sales and stuff. So I feel like we collect random things here and there, just because we're like, this is really cool, it's such a good deal. And then we end up with like 50 things like that just around our house, and it starts to drive me crazy after a little bit. So... I always love getting rid of things. I think that's one problem I have with wedding planning is this idea of putting together a wedding registry, which it's fun, don't get me wrong, to like shop for items online and like put together this registry. I enjoyed that part of it, but I don't enjoy the idea of like getting more stuff. So we had a little trouble at first trying to figure out, like, well, what do we even need? Like, we've lived together for a while now. You know, we own a house, and our house has the stuff that we need in it, basically. So, we decided there's some things that we're going to update. Like, we want a new, like, our gr we need a grown-up dinnerware set. So, that, and we'll get some new, like, pans and towels and sheets and some of those basic things that you kind of need to update anyways. We're like, okay, we'll update those things. And then, luckily, too, Zola is the wedding website we're going through, and they have, like, cash funds. So that's kind of a cool option. We have, like, a honeymoon fund and a home renovation fund. So those are kind of neat options. It's basically 
a nicer way of asking for money, <laughs> I guess. Um, and then I put on there too, I'm really hoping people will just bring us like their homemade items, like their jams and their pickles, or if they sew or crochet or, I don't know, like handmade craftsman items or, you know, or their home canned goods and jams and homemade wines and all of that. Those are the kind of items that I want to get as gifts. So hopefully people will read that skip buying me the table runner and bring me like homemade jam or something. That'd be pretty sweet. But it's not super traditional, so I don't know how um, bored people get with that. I mean, I'd be pretty on board if someone told me like, just bring me a jar of your maple syrup as a wedding gift. I'd be like, all right, I can do that. Um, but that's kind of a good segue, I guess. Today, I wanted to discuss the differences and pros and cons of the different ways of preserving food. We're in harvest season right now. Some people are probably wrapping up harvest season. Some people are maybe just getting into it. Somewhere in between, that's kind of where I am right now. Most things are like done growing so now I'm starting to get into food preservation, but I'm still getting some tomatoes. We just had our first frost the other night. So things are going to be slowing down here, but now we're like in apple season and I just picked a bunch of wild plums. So we are in it still and now I just have to figure out the best way of preserving things. So I just kind of wanted to come on here and discuss what my options are, the different pros and cons that I've learned just from like YouTube and friends and family and other podcasts, as well as just my own personal experience with it, which is not super in-depth. Like you have to remember I'm pretty early on in my canning and dehydrating and freezing fresh produce kind of world. Like always, this is a beginning step to these things, and if you want to know more or want more in-depth information, there's definitely information out there. There is a different podcast called Old Fashioned on Purpose with Jill Winger, I want to say her last name is. She is great, and she has been podcasting and blogging for like 10 years about her homestead lifestyle. She seems pretty cool. She has a whole episode on canning versus freezing versus dehydrating and fermenting and she has a lot more personal experience with it. So if you like the way, like like what I'm doing with a podcast and you like this kind of podcast, I definitely recommend listening to hers, the Old Fashioned on Purpose podcast. Because it's just a way better version of what I'm doing, basically. <laughs> and that's not to put myself down. I'll eventually get there. But I'm just not there yet. So. But yeah, let's get into it a little bit. So first, I kind of wanted to talk about fermenting foods. Because it's probably the one that I know the least about. So it's going to be short and sweet and we'll just talk about this one very briefly. 
really, I should have my friend Marcy on here to talk about food preservation. I know she's done some, some fermenting and she seems to be way more creative and knows a lot more about it. So maybe if she wants to, I can get her on here to talk about the things that she does with her crops at the end of the year. So although I don't have a whole lot of experience with fermenting, I do have a little bit. For a while, I made kombucha with my aunt, which is a fermented tea drink with a lot of different health benefits and it's something I want to get into again. I would love to start making kombucha again. So if I do that, I'll get on here and talk all about that as well. Actually, when I was in college, I was in this speech class where we had to do like a, I was going to call it like a tutorial speech. I don't even know. Like an instructional speech where we had to explain to everyone how to do something and the process of it while also kind of selling it in a way and I did mine on kombucha so I walked everyone through the process of how to make kombucha the benefits of kombucha I even brought in a scoby which is a symbiotic culture of bacteria and yeast which is like this kind of gelatinous thing (laughs) that you put in the tea and it feeds off the sugar that you put in there and ferments the tea in the process giving it a lot of different health benefits um but I even brought that in and I brought in some kombucha for people to sample and it went fairly well so I have a whole powerpoint If anyone is interested, maybe I'll do like a little vlog on that one. Walk y'all through my PowerPoint. I'm just kidding. (laughs) I'm not going to do that. Anyways, so I have a little bit of experience with fermenting. I haven't tried to ferment any sort of produce that I've grown at all. I did try to grow cabbage this year. Um, It's just a couple pieces of, like just some leaves though. With giant holes in it. It's not really cabbage. So (laughs) I haven't made any like homemade sauerkrauts or anything like that before. It's definitely something I want to get into more in the future when I feel like I have the free time and the resources for it. After reading, I have heard or seen a lot that it is one of the easiest ways to, to... preserve food. It's super easy. It doesn't take many skills to ferment something. It also is helps with keeping the nutrition of the food because it actually will increase the nutritional value of the food versus other ways of preserving food where some of the nutritional value is lost a little bit. It adds to It has probiotics, it adds enzymes and vitamins and a lot of other, and a lot of other health benefits to the food, making it better for you in, after fermenting it and preserving it. You do need cool storage though for it, so you either are going to keep it in the fridge or if you have like a root cellar or something like that. I think another 
it could be a positive for some people, but also a negative for other people is the flavor of fermented foods. It's definitely an acquired taste, and I really love fermented foods. I love kimchi and sauerkraut and all of those types of fermented foods that we commonly see, but I know a lot of people don't. And if you're preserving food for a family, you'll probably have a difficult time feeding certain fermented foods to children if you have picky eaters in your family. So it's definitely maybe not the best option for everyone, but as far as nutrition and skill level, it is a good option. Next, I wanted to talk about dehydrating foods. Dehydrating foods is a great option, um, especially if you are a backpacker or camper because it's a very lightweight option. You're basically taking, well, not basically, you're taking all the moisture out of a fruit or vegetable and water is a huge component in most vegetables and it's what accounts for a lot of the weight of the vegetable or the fruit. You are making it much more lightweight, usually shrinking it down in size, making it very nice for storage. Um, Doesn't take up a whole lot of space. It's great for backpacking, um, especially if you buy any sort of dehydrated or freeze-dried foods when you go camping. You know how expensive they can get. So to be able to take care of some of that yourself, like dehydrating your own food items to bring camping, you're going to save money and also it's going to be better for you because you're going to know exactly what it is and what's in it. It's not going to have any sort of added things to it to make it last longer. So it's definitely a great option. Um, It does require equipment though. You do need a dehydrator. I love our dehydrator. We have a box dehydrator. You can get some that are kind of a circle. They have the space in the center. But I like the square one that we have because it feels like you're utilizing most of the space. There's like six or eight trays in there and you can fit a lot on those trays. And we have done venison jerky in our dehydrator. I have dried herbs in the dehydrator, like I dehydrated ramps this spring, Um, and then we've also done fruit. So I'm about to start dehydrating some apple slices. Dehydrating is a great option too for herbs and spices, um, as well as beans and rice and things that you are probably like beans and rice that you're going to rehydrate in the future because that's an option as well is you can always add water back into these items and then it's kind of like the item comes back to life basically. But the textures can change when you do that so that's something you have to keep in mind. There is like a variability though in the amount of time that you can store a dehydrated item. So depending on what it is you might be able to store it for longer or shorter amount of time. Fruits tend to dehydrate better than vegetables because of the sugar content in a fruit. 
Um, so that's why you see a lot of dehydrated fruits like apples and all that versus vegetables. They're just going to taste better. They're going to last a bit longer. Something that can help with the longevity of your storage of your dehydrating items is vacuum sealing because if you are storing it, you need a dry, dark, cool space to store these items that has like a pretty consistent temperature. You don't want hot and cold fluctuations a lot. Um, You also don't want a whole lot of moisture. So Minnesotan summers can be kind of humid. So you wanna make sure your dehydrated items are in a very dry space. Otherwise, they're gonna retain some of that moisture. They no longer will be dehydrated and then they will start getting bacteria, maybe they'll get moldy, they'll go bad, you're not going to want to eat them. So that is just something to keep in mind as well. You are maintaining all the fiber when you dehydrate an item, which is great, Um, but I'm not really sure about nutrition loss, as you are just taking out the water, but you will lose nutritional value in the item over time. So before I get into canning and freezing, I kind of wanted to open up this book that Marcy gave me called Put 'em Up, a comprehensive home preserving guide for the creative cook from drying and freezing to canning and pickling. And she gave me this book and it has been so helpful. It's organized by the food item. So there's a whole section just for tomatoes and I ran out of jars for canning tomatoes and so I was like okay should I make sauce or what have you. So if you like turn to the tomato page in here it like starts out with giving you like a little description and then it says never refrigerate tomatoes as zaps them out of their flavor and texture Store them on the counter, stem side down, and enjoy them before they go soft. So it's like a nice little tidbit right there at the beginning. Um, And although I knew not to put them in the refrigerator, I did know to store them stem side down. So that's an interesting piece of information. And then there's frozen tomato puree. There's easy bake tomato paste. And it gives you options for preserving it in the refrigerator the fridge or the freezer. Um, There's also roasted tomato sauce, heirloom tomato salsa, marinara sauce, and each of these two like so it's the recipe and then it gives you directions for like refrigerating it, freezing it, canning it. Basically walks you through there's a whole one on just canned whole tomatoes. So this is the page that I used when I did my canned whole tomatoes because although I basically knew how to can whole tomatoes. It was just nice to have a reference as a reminder. Um, A lot of times I forget that you have to blanch things, so kind of talks you through blanching the items. Um, But yeah, there's like a lot of different recipes in here just for tomatoes. And there's all sorts of foods in here. We got tomatillos, sweet peppers, squash, There's a whole section for ramps, radishes, 
oh, there's a section on plum, so I should probably page through that one here so that I have some ideas of what to do with all those wild plums that I found. And peaches and onions. So there's a lot of different options in this book and it's been super helpful. And at the very beginning, there's an introduction on food preservation methods. So I just kind of highlighted some things in here and I just wanted to read from this a little bit before I dive into my own opinions on canning and freezing. So here it says, generally refrigerated preparations are the most short-lived, meaning things that you just put in your fridge are going to have the shortest lifespan. Followed by dried and frozen items, those preserved in alcohol and vinegar, and at the far end of the spectrum of the boiling water me method, which will make items shelf-stable. So it's basically saying for the longevity of food pre preservation, the very bottom you have refrigerated foods. And then we have dried and frozen items, which we know dried items because of moisture um, and just storing them on a shelf, their longevity isn't as long. And then frozen items, we run into freezer burn, which I'll talk a little bit about. And then you can preserve things in alcohol and vinegar. Think um, like refrigerator pickles or something like that, which is going to help increase the lifespan of your food preservation. But then you run into things with flavor. And then on the very far end of the spectrum or the top of it, we have canning or the boiling water method as it's referred in here because you're not actually putting things in cans, you're putting them in jars. So they say the boiling water method, which makes an item shelf stable. So I just thought that was a good way to lay it out. It also says food preservation does not have to be time consuming or difficult. Um, and some can take a few minutes versus some are more a little bit more labor intensive. And I'm just gonna read through some of the things on this page for refrigeration. Nice thing about refrigeration is you don't need any special equipment. The fridge slows down the enzymes in the food that lead to decomposition. That's why they last longer. Adding acid or sugar will delay spoilage further. Um, and then their natural beneficial bacteria remain intact. So you're not losing that nutritional value like when you heat up an item or dry out an item or freeze an item. Um, this is also related to fermented foods. So that's the same method. You know, you ferment something, you keep it in the fridge, you're extending the lifespan of it, but it is not as long as if you were to can the item. And this says one of the benefits is you get to experiment with flavors a little bit because you don't have to worry about the acid content as much as you do when you're canning an item. Um, and then it says a helpful tip is just on your jars, whether you are canning or refrigerating, just writing a date down for when you canned it or for when you put it in the refrigerator. And then when you open a canned item, writing the date that you opened it so you know how long it's been opened and if it's still okay to eat. So now I will jump into freezing because this book talks about that a little bit and I'll kind of talk about 
the few notes that I have about freezing as well. Um, so freezing tends to be less work. It's a, it's definitely easier than canning an item. Typically, your supplies are relatively cheap. You can freeze in jars or you can just like Ziploc bags, you know, that are freezer grade to freeze items or you can use Tupperware containers. So you have many options when it comes for to that storage. Um, this recommends obviously the other piece of equipment is the freezer which freezers aren't extremely expensive but they're also not cheap and you kind of have to take a look at what kind of freezer you want so like side by side or door freezers are nice because they're easier to organize you can see more of your products it's easier to grab things out of there but a chest freezer on the other hand is going to be more energy efficient um, and typically has more space in it, but you can lose things on the bottom of your freezer. I think this happens to all of us if you have a chest freezer is you're digging through there one day looking for something and you're like, oh my gosh, here's this bag of blueberries that I put in here two years ago. So it's easy to lose things in a chest freezer. I know growing up the chest freezer my parents had always had so many things in it that I don't know if we ever even ate them. They just kind of like lived in the freezer. But anyway, so that is one aspect of it. And then you also need constant electricity. So if you live in a spot where you are losing power, you're having power outages all the time, freezing items maybe isn't the best option for you because you need electricity obviously to run a freezer and keep food items cold and frozen. Otherwise they're gonna go bad. So that's something to keep in mind. It's not the greatest if you don't have access to electricity. Luckily, most of us do have that access. I suppose, too, you can get kind of creative. Um, we were watching the show Alone, and this guy, I mean, they're up in the Arctic, so it's cold. But he made, like, an outdoor freezer space where he, like, stacked this wood and he, like, kept his meat in there to keep it safe from the animals and also keep it cold. So, I mean, you could get really creative and if you're out on some sort of like homestead in the middle of nowhere, maybe that's what you do. Otherwise, most of us are just gonna use electricity. One thing I wanted to talk about too was if you're using jars to freeze your items, that you do risk breaking the jars if you overfill them. I overfilled a pasta sauce jar the whole top like bubbled up and expanded. Luckily the jar didn't break but the top of it bubbled. I overfilled it. Um, they also are just like slipperier when they're covered in frost and everything too and they can crack when you're trying to heat them up and thaw them. So that's something to keep in mind. If you're not wanting to use plastic bags, you want something a little more reusable, maybe you use Tupperware containers that will stack nicely in a chest freezer as well. A little easier to navigate through versus uh, like zip gallon Ziploc baggies. This book also says make sure that you label everything, which I'm really good about. But yeah, you just want to have everything super labeled so that if you do find an item in the bottom of your chest freezer, it's not you can figure out what year it's from, basically.
Um, one note in here too is that you want to use good quality produce when you're freezing because the quality isn't going to get any better by freezing it. So if it's already low quality, it's probably going to be not that great when you take it out of the freezer. It's also not a sanitizing process as well. So you want to make sure that like all your foods are like really clean when you freeze them and that you are doing some of the prep work at the beginning because when you go to thaw an item, let's say it's a tomato, for example, you have a whole tomato and you're going to freeze it. You maybe want to core it first um, before you freeze it because that's going to make it so much easier when it thaws and it gets mushy and breaks down and you're going to throw it in your pot for some pasta sauce or something and that skin will just like come right off then and you don't have to try to core a mushy thawed tomato. So just keeping things in mind like that. Like my apples, I froze a bunch of apples and I cored and peeled them all beforehand before freezing them because I wasn't about to try to do that after freezing them and thawing them. Um, this also talks about too like you a lot of foods require you to blanch them before you freeze them but many foods can go just directly into the freezer raw as well. The cold temperature slows down the enzymes in produce that cause them to deteriorate. Many low acid vegetables um, do benefit from a quick blanching though um, to deactivate those enzymes. That's why fruits tend to do better in the freezer as far as like quality because you can just like throw them whole in a bag in the freezer and they last a lot longer too than vegetables. And some just don't freeze that well. So like for example green beans. I've heard green beans are way better if you can them than if you freeze them because of the texture. They remain a little crunchier when you can them versus freezing them. Um, so I mean and it's a minor thing where it's still going to be edible but it might just be a personal preference on how you like your vegetable after preserving it. Do you like a canned green bean or do you like a frozen green bean? Um, there's also some things that your only option is freezing. For like broccoli and cauliflower and eggplants, there really isn't a method of canning that works or is approved. So freezing tends to be your best option for long-term storage. Now, initially your nutrition loss in freezing is lower than canning because canning you have more nutrition loss at the beginning However, over time, your nutrition loss ends up being greater. So, if you're planning on eating this item relatively quickly, like within the first couple months, maybe freezing is a good option for you because you're losing less nutrition right away. However, if you are planning on keeping it for that six months to year period, canning maybe is a better option although you're losing a little more nutritional value at the beginning it is 
slow down dramatically and you're losing less nutrition over time. So at that year point, your canned item is going to have more nutritional value than your frozen item at a year. So that's something to keep in mind too is about like when you plan on eating it and using these items. Also though, I just really hate blanching things. It's a mess. And there's this YouTuber, vlogger, and she was the one who had talked about coring your tomato whole tomatoes and then you score the bottom before freezing them and then that mean you don't have to blanch your tomatoes because blanching tomatoes is such a messy process if you've ever done it that which blanching by the way if you're not familiar with it you put the tomatoes in boiling water and then you throw them in an ice bath and the skins crack and just peel right off but it's just it's messy is all and she now skips a lot of the blanching if she's like hanging on tomatoes for a little while before preserving them or canning them. She just cores and scores them, throws the whole tomatoes in her freezer, and then when she thaws them, the skins just come right off. So that was a tip that she gave um, in order to not have to blanch your tomatoes, which I was excited to hear about because like I said, I just don't like blanching things. It's kind of a pain in the butt. Oh, here's a section on drying. Um, it touches on drying without a dehydrator, which most of us will have to use a dehydrator. We're not in a dry enough space in Minnesota, a dry enough place in Minnesota to like let our things lay out in our yard and dry or out on the counter. Plus, I have animals I have chickens and goats outside and I have dogs and cats inside and outside and something will be in if I just leave it out to dry and I could have it in a safe clean space but like if you've ever had a cat around they get into everything <laughs> but it's also one of the oldest ways of preserving food I mean if we date things back to like a lot of our ancestors they dried a lot of their food. They would dry meat um, and all sorts of... Farmers have been dehydrating things for years and years and then they put it in like the root cellar or something. I would absolutely love to have a root cellar at some point in my life. I don't think that we're going to do it at this property, but this is our first home and we plan on getting... living somewhere else in the future. And I think that will be a requirement, is there needs to be a good space for a root cellar. Put it on my must-have list. Oh, this says here about drying, that it does deteriorate over time, um, and that vegetables expire more quickly than fruits because of the low sugar content, which I think I said. But it's nice to have it in writing, so that you know I'm not just making things up. That I do read and retain information sometimes and try to give people facts, not just random BS that I make up in my head. Alright, so now we're getting into canning or the boiling water method. Um, this says that the boiling water method makes delicious foods that are shelf stable for up to one year. Um, 
which you can kind of push the one year mark. I trying to think I just had something that definitely was like just over a year and it was perfectly fine but for safe consumption they say a year and really like they say like six to eight months is like that sweet spot where like you're pushed after that you're really just going downhill and making it risky or whatever um, but it's a standard technique for preserving acidic foods such as salsas, chutneys, relishes, jams, jellies, pickles, tomatoes, and many fruits. I think a misconception with canning is that it's dangerous or overly complicated, which it definitely is intimidated when you are first starting. Um, and it is a process. It's time consuming compared to all these other methods. It's going to take the most time. It's going to take the most um, equipment as well. But you're preserving things for longer. They're shelf stable. Um, one other negative is just like jars take up space. So you need to make sure that you have a space for them. But it doesn't need to be like a cool space or a refrigerator. Like I have some in this hutch in my dining room. And then I also have canned items in my pantry. And I can have some that just sit on my countertop because I ran out of space. So really they can kind of just sit wherever, which is a nice thing, but you do need to have space for them. Um, and they're just stable at room temperature, which is really nice. And it's okay if your house fluctuates a little bit in temperature as well, like they're going to be fine. So I think that's the appealing part to me. Um, when it comes to nutrition loss, like I said, you are losing nutrition at the beginning of the process because you're heating up these items. Typically you're cooking them before you're canning them, you're heating up the jars, you're gonna have some nutrition loss because of the heat. However, if you're you canning items, uh, things that you would already be cooking, like beans or tomatoes or meat even, you're gonna be cooking those items anyways and you're gonna be losing that nutrition anyways. So it's really not that big of a difference to can it. Um, I have never canned meat before. It's kind of weird. I wanna try it sometime. I'm very intrigued. It's a very interesting option because we will freeze a lot of our venison um, and when we butcher the roosters this fall will also freeze the roosters but if we have a lot of them it might be kind of nice to know how to do like canned chicken I guess and just see if we like it or something that we would want to do in the future just to have a shelf staple item um, that's more accessible you don't have to thaw it in order to use it and you don't risk freezer burn which is we had some meat that got freezer burnt and it's just like, it's not that good then. Canning items are also not as portable because they still have weight. So that's why drying is maybe more beneficial if you're someone that's on the road a lot because it's much easier to carry around dried apple slices versus a jar, canned jar of applesauce, basically. But you do need more equipment, like I said. You need canning tongs. You need jars and lids. You 
need access to water and you can either do the boiling water method or you can do a pre like a water bath or you can do pressure canning. I do both depending on what the item is. Um, pressure canning doesn't have to be as scary as it sounds. I know a lot of people are afraid of their pressure canners exploding, but the way that they make them now, there are safety mechanisms in place. And as long as you're a cautious person and you're following directions, you're gonna be fine. A lot of people are also worried about just not properly canning an item and having it be dangerous to eat. But again, if you're following directions and take, being generally cautious, you're gonna, it's gonna be fine and they're gonna turn out. Um, one thing though is pressure canners are on back order quite a ways because I guess it's everyone's new favorite thing to do is can. Yay, COVID. There's also a national jar shortage. So I cannot find, I cannot find canning jars right now. And there's no substitute for canning jars. If you're canning, you need jars that are meant for canning. You need the lids that are meant for canning. You can't just use random jars that you save. And that's why I've started doing more freezing and started to look into fermenting a little bit more. And I'm breaking out the dehydrator tonight because it's just like I'm running out of options by not being able to find jars. In order to make sure that the foods are safe, you do need the proper amount of acid when canning. So again, just making sure that you are reading directions, finding recipes, that you're not just making something up and canning it. It's kind of like baking. Like you can't just throw in however much baking soda you want into a cake and expect it to turn out. You need to follow the recipe and make sure that you put the proper measurements in. So it's like you would baking, you should do the same with canning. The storage cost for canning is also zero dollars. So like once you have all your initial equipment and you don't, you're not really like spending the money to store these items that you just can be stored on a shelf. You don't need to run electricity for a dehydrator or run electricity to keep a freezer cold um, or a refrigerator cold. They're shelf stable. So once you have your canner or your pot to do the boiling water method, a couple other tools and your jars, you're basically set. And when you eat items too, you can reuse the jars. You just have to breathe. And you can use the rings. You just have to buy new center parts, like the part that seals, because you can't reuse those. But everything else is reusable. So you can have, if you have enough stock of jars, you can have a nice cycle that if you're eating through items, you should have ones to replace them every year. So that's the nice part of canning as well. Wow, there is so much information in this book. I really, I read through it or like glanced through it, but there really is a lot. Should sit down and read through it more. Honestly, oh gosh, the first section is apples too. Dried apple rings, apple preserves, homemade applesauce, spiced apple chutney. Ooh, I'm gonna have to do that. Ooh, apple brandy. That's 
of it will be really good. Cool. Well, I'm going to have to look through that on my own time when I'm not recording. But I have so many apples this year. Actually, well, now I have one less. I am currently watching a squirrel in my apple tree eat an apple. And my chickens will also jump up and they peck the low-hanging apples. And so we have some, like, half-eaten apples on our tree. So I just went through and they were all following me around. And I picked the ones that they were jumping up and eating and threw those on the ground so that they could eat them. And any fallen apples, too, we'll, like, throw to the goats or the chickens and they absolutely love them. Or we have this little crab apple tree. We're constantly chucking the fallen crab apples into the goat pens. It's like one of their favorite snacks. The dogs don't mind them either. The other night I let Jasper and Nika out and Nika's over in the front yard and I'm calling for her and calling for her and she's looking at me, but she's not moving. And I'm like, come on Nika, and she's not coming. So I turn over to Jasper, I'm like, come on Jasper. And when I turn to him, she quickly grabbed something and then ran head down, like past me, trying to avoid eye contact. And what she had done was stolen a crab apple off the ground, which I don't care if she has, but she stole a crab apple and she was sneaking it inside because she thought I would take it away from her. And then she went and hid in the living room and ate her crab apple on the carpet, which I thought was really cute. Um, do you have any other information for you? Let's see here. I don't think I do. I think that basically covers everything. I know that I'm probably missing a lot of information and I'll probably have some friends and family text me and be like, hey, did you know this? Or did you think about this? Or you missed this? Which I love getting those messages. Oh, which reminds me. Marcy had also texted me after the composting episode with the link for Duluth for the food waste drop sites. So let me pull up that link really quick here because I realized when I was recording, I talked about all these places in Minnesota and what you can do with your compost and how to compost if you live in the city, but I realized I didn't look up the city that I live in, Duluth, for information says, no, food scrap drop sites are still available during the COVID-19 shutdown, which is nice. They recommend you use compostable bags and they have collecting scraps for drop off. And they have on here, they have lists of what you can drop off. So it says anything that is or was edible, raw or cooked food, meat, fish, small bones, spoiled moldy food, fruits, vegetables, peels and pits, cheese, breads, dough, pasta, rice, old pet food, tea bags, coffee grounds, and filters. That's actually really comprehensive because some of that stuff I'm not going to put in my own compost. This is don't drop off pet waste, kitty litter, diapers, liquids, aluminum foil, plastic wrap, regular plastic bags and containers, dirt, and rocks. Um, and they have, let's see here, Yard Waste Compost Site on 27th West and Cortland Street. Hazardous Waste Facility in the same spot. And that's over in the West Duluth area on the other side of the highway where the Waste Treatment wa or Water Treatment Center is. 
Um, they also have, you can bring your hazardous and yard waste there. I've toured that place. It's pretty cool. You can also go into, like, they have a little shopping section in the hazardous waste area where you can buy paint, or you don't buy it, it's there for free, but paint and certain, like, household cleaners and everything. So, like, if you have half a gallon of paint that you only used one half of, you can't just throw it away. So, you can bring it there, and then someone like me, who is looking for a general color but isn't super picky, I might go there and see, oh, here's half a gallon of paint. I can paint this chair or this really small room with this half gallon and reuse whatever paint color it was. It's a super cool place. I actually got, I got some paint. I don't know what I painted. Something in my house with paint from there. There's the Materials Recovery Center, which I've talked about a lot. And you can drop off food scraps there as well, which I had forgotten about because we just brought like that old mattress there and um, a bunch of garbage that we had found in our woods, like that old stove that was out in our woods and everything. We brought all that there, but I forget you can also bring your food scraps there. You can also bring it to Chester Creek Cafe parking lot. Apparently they have a food scrap site, the Concordia Lutheran Church in the north parking lot. Lake Superior College apparently has a spot. I went to school there. I didn't know that. Marshall Hardware on Superior Street, apparently. And Willard Munger Inn on Grand Avenue. So there you have it. And that's on their website if you want to look that up for yourself. Uh, but I just wanted to add that in here because I forgot about that in the composting episode a few episodes back. So... Thank you, Marcy, for sending me that link so that I can put that in here. Um, And that's to everyone, too. If you have something that you think I've forgotten about or you want me to add on, let me know. And I am more than happy to put that out there so that everyone has more access to all that information. And then hopefully, I haven't been super good about doing this every single week. But hopefully I will have an episode for you next week. And I hope you all have a great rest of your day. And I will talk to you all soon. Bye-bye. Please make sure that you like, subscribe, and follow. Leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you listen. It's very helpful. And thank you so much for listening.